Hello, everyone, and welcome to a CircuitPython Day chat with Katni, Jeff, and Dan. And today we are going to be talking about CircuitPython uh, and specifically. Jeff and Dan. Somebody's got YouTube and running. <laughs> it happens every time. Um, <clears throat> today we're going to be talking about CircuitPython and talking about keyboards specifically in CircuitPython. Um, feel free to ask any questions in the YouTube chat, the Twitch chat, or Discord. Uh, we'll be paying attention to Discord, but we've got folks that are monitoring all of them, so we'll be able to see all the questions. Um, let us know uh, if you have any questions about what we're talking about or anything about CircuitPython 7 features um, overall, and we'll see what we can do. So with that, uh, I will introduce myself, and then I will let uh, everybody else introduce themselves. I am Katni. Uh, I work with Adafruit on CircuitPython. Um, I mostly handle the libraries, although I've actually done a couple of uh, recent um, changes to the core, which was my first contribution to core CircuitPython. That was a lot of fun. Um, but I handle all the libraries, and uh, we'll be talking today about the MacroPad library, which I uh, wrote for the Adafruit MacroPad. Um, so Jeff, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Jeff. I also work for Adafruit on CircuitPython. I came on board to work on the core, but I've branched out and I do libraries and learn guides and things like that. Um, and yeah, just um, what else should I say? <laughs> <laughs> I think that works. Okay. Dan, go ahead. Hello, I'm the third, I'm Dan Halbert. I work also on CircuitPython, mostly for the, on the core and I've been doing it for just about a year. It's a year this, I'm mean, not a year, four years this month since 2017. I was going to say, Dan, you've been here a lot longer than I have. Right, right. Not a year. I don't know why I said a year. 2017 um, has been four years. Wow, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. Yeah. And I'm really happy to doing that. And um, I'm happy to have these, uh, Katni and Jeff with me to do this, to do this show. And we would love to hear your questions. And and also, we're going to give you some intro stuff, but feel free to ask questions. All right. Excellent. So now that you've met everybody, uh, we'll go ahead and get started. So <clears throat> the thing that I want to talk about today is the Adafruit CircuitPython MacroPad library. And um, with uh, discussing that, the first thing is to talk about the Adafruit MacroPad, which is a microcontroller. Um, it's an RP2040 on um, a board that has 12 keys and a three by four grid. Each of those keys has a NeoPixel behind it, um, his key sockets rather, and a display. It has a rotary encoder with a switch. Um, it has a little speaker on it. I'm trying to think what else. Um, little red LED, uh, but the, there you go. That's what it looks like. Um, so it, it, I don't actually don't have one without keys on it. Um, it comes without the keys and you, you would add the keys to it um, along with keycaps if you felt like it. Um, and it's super easy to do. They just pop right in um, to the sockets. And so what we wanted to do was write a library that wrapped everything <coughs> into one place. So it was easy to use the keys and the display and the rotary encoder and everything all just without all the setup. 
um, because to use all of this hardware, uh, with to use hardware with CircuitPython, you have to tell CircuitPython where to look for that hardware, or it doesn't know that you're trying to do something with it. So there's always a little bit of setup when you're talking to uh, other bits of hardware. Um, so with this many features, there was a lot of setup. So we did all that uh, in one place. Um, so the, the Macropad library supports the display, the rotor encoder, the rotor encoder switch, the key switches, the NeoPixels, uh, the little red LED, and the speaker um, in terms of hardware support. And uh, one of the features that we included is rotation support. Rotation is fairly difficult to do. If it was only the display and the keys, it would have been very simple. Um, but actually remapping NeoPixels is a whole other situation. So the, the Macropad normally sits like this by default. And as you see, this one is rotated 90 degrees. That was easy to do because of the library. I was able to just set it up and tell it to rotate 90 degrees, but I'll talk about that uh, again in a minute. Um, there's also tone and wave <laughs> playback support, even though um, the wave playback is a little buggy on the RP2040 at the moment, but the, um, the, the support is there for it. Uh, the library also wraps in um, HID and MIDI. So if you want to use um, it as a keyboard, or a mouse, or as a MIDI controller, you can do that using the Macropad library. Um, there are some features of MIDI, I think, that are not included, but all the most common used features are there. Um, it makes displaying an image or lines of text super simple, um, basic lines of text. This uh, this version here does not use, um, it, uses, it uses something else to actually display this text, because uh, this is a little more complicated. Um, and there's a debounced version of the encoder switch, which means you can address it as pressed and released and do something different on each of those um, each of those things if you feel the need. Um, so that is uh, that covers all the features. Um, and one of the things I wanted to talk about was my experiences writing the library uh, in terms of uh, issues that I ran into. because everybody loves bugs. So um, the first thing I ran into was the reason that I specified the pixel mapping being difficult for rotation is that when I initially did the rotation, I thought I was super slick and I rearranged the keys for each of the possible rotations and the display is pretty easy to rotate. Um, and so I did those two things and, and shipped it said, oh, we've got rotation support. And uh, one of our own, uh, Paint Your Dragon, Philby, uh, said, hey, um, what about the NeoPixels? And I thought, oh boy, I totally forgot. Um, so I had a lot of help with that. Uh, the LED animation library actually already has pixel mapping in it for uh, doing grids and so on. And so what we did was we, ad we adapted a very uh, light version of that into the Macropad library. So it's actually called Pixel Map Lite. Um, that's why. And uh, now the NeoPixels also rotate because they, they start here and go this way and um, go across and then they end here. And so you can't just, it's, and it's just, it's just one pin. So, and they're, and they're subscripted, uh, meaning they, they each have a number within that space 
but you 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 can't just tell it start here and end here instead it doesn't work that way um with the keys it was simple because you just create a different uh setup with the keys in a different order that was easy enough and the display you just tell it to rotate 90 degrees and it does um so initially the neopixels did not work and now they do which is excellent um and then more recently um one of uh, JP tried to run the macro pad off of a USB power source during um, the actually was for the Adabox unboxing and found out it didn't work. Uh, and so messaged me a few hours beforehand and said, Hey, by the way, this doesn't work. So he figured out a whole workaround for that. But at the same time, I said, This, this is this should work. You should be able to run this off of a USB power source. There's no reason why it shouldn't. And it turns out um, if you create the HID keyboard object, um, it wants there to be an HID connection. It wants to know that there's something HID on the other end. And if it doesn't find it, <clears throat> it gives a very obtuse warning, um, which I would never have figured out. Thank you to Dan for knowing where to start with that one because the only warning I had was on that itty bitty little screen. Um, so I had like half the error um, and Dan figured it out. So we moved the creation of the keyboard object into the actual, like when you call the keyboard um, and that made it so that it's not created automatically on import, which is what it was doing initially. And now that it's not automatically created on import, you can plug it into a USB power source as long as you're not using HID and run it. So the latest um, MacroPad project that went up was a, a, a game designed by Phil B. And he was able to power that off of a USB power source and use the MacroPad library. Um, so that all works. Uh, however, we found out that we sort of broke the way that one of the types of HID things works, the one that sends strings. Um, and, uh, so then we had to fix that I initially thought it was just an indentation problem and that wasn't it. And then finally figured out that it was duplicating, um, creating something. So we used some different code, um, and made that work. And again, Dan figured all that out and fixed that. Dan knows HID much better than the rest of us. Um, so that's, that's about it, I guess, with uh, the overview of the library and, and my experiences with writing it. Um, I guess we can go ahead and take a look at some demos. So this first one, there's no guide yet um, because I'm still not, still not happy with my, uh, with my shortcuts. But um, what this is going to be is a, um, sort of a text expand. There used to be an app called text expander, which may still exist. And essentially you could type out a, you, you program it to have initialisms or acronyms in it. And then you'd type out the little shortened version and hit enter and it would make it big um, into a whole sentence. So for working tech support, it was amazing because there was so many times you type the exact same thing over and over. And so that made it a lot faster. And so I've, on GitHub, I typed a lot of the same stuff, a lot. Um, so I thought, you know, instead of doing a, a hotkey thing that is shortcuts, because I'm so used to typing shortcuts on my keyboard, I can't imagine like trying to put in my brain to reach out and 
tap the macro pad to copy something. So I am instead doing um, sort of a text expander thing where it's uh, on the display, it's shortened versions of the thing that it will actually type out. Um, the first one is thank you for your contribution. Uh, the second one is thank you for the fix. Um, there's a lot of thank yous. Uh, I'm trying to think what the rest of them are. Um, so you can't even remember what they are. It looks good to me on one of them, did not test. Um, I suggested or included some suggestions below. Um, towards the bottom, uh, this one just says nice. This one says closing. This one does thumbs up. This is uh, the taco emoji. It's an in-joke, but I will let you in. Um, it turns out if you type colon T to get the thumbs up emoji, the first thing that pops up is taco. And so when one of our uh, really good friends um, who has helped us out with a ton of stuff, Summersoft, uh, was replying to a PR of mine, taco popped up and he went with it. So now we do tacos instead of thumbs up. So I included both. Um, but one of the features I want to point out about this uh, program, um, which I talked about on Show and Tell earlier this week, is I have a big tendency to fidget with the macro pad if it's sitting on my desk or really anything that has clicky things and lights up. Um, and so I um, included what I'm calling fidget mode, which is uh, you can't see the red LED, but you can see my finger is red um, from it. Uh, so it's on right now. So I can press these buttons, which light up, and nothing is sending to my computer. And that's the one thing I always hated about HID projects and always disabled the HID portion immediately is that if it's on my desk and it lights up, I'm probably going to press it. And that means I'm sending things to my computer all the time, not meaning to. So fidget mode is currently enabled. If I press the rotary encoder switch, it turns it off, turns it back on. So the other features of this is each key lights up when I press it. And it also, as you see, highlights the, um, the shortcut. And you can't see it. Um, this actually says shortcuts with a white background. And when it's a white background with black text, it doesn't show up on this camera. Um, but that's what it does is it shows it as a white background with black uh, text. And it's it's not great because if you press the wrong one, you've already pressed it. Um, but it is an indicator of, of what you've pressed. I'm, I'm debating on actually adding a delay to sending um, just so that when you press it, you see what it is. And if it's the wrong one, you go, ah, I press the right one. Um, I really wanted it rotated. I like the rotation because I don't have to um, look over the keys to see the display, but you can't outlay or lay out a, a four by three grid on the display with really any um, length to the labels. So that's the other reason why they're, they're laid out in groups of four. Um, each one of those represents a row and the lines between them differentiate so you know which rows are which. Um, I have another demo as well. We can take a look at here, zoom out. And this one is not HID. Um, it, uh, simply, it says key presses at the top. Again, it's not showing black text on white background. Um, this one lights up rainbow keys. 
and displays the key being pressed on the display. And when you toggle it, it turns the rainbows off. So you can mash all the buttons and they all show up on the display if that's the route you wanted to go. Um, and that was just a simple demo. This was actually adapted from an initial simple demo where the key just lit up when you pressed it. Um, the demo that it shipped with <coughs> showed the key presses um, on the screen and I wanted to, uh, that's Arduino, it's not CircuitPython. So I wanted to do a CircuitPython version of it. Um, so that was, this is using the Display.io layout library, uh, the grid layout um, for uh, displaying the key presses. Um, it makes displaying stuff in a grid on a display super easy. Uh, so take a look at that if you're ever interested in um, doing this stuff, like for example, uh, laying out key labels. Um, so I think it's a really great companion to the MacroPad library because uh, if you are using it as a MacroPad, you often want to show on the display what it is that your um, MacroPad keys do. Um, and that's uh, pretty much what I have. I didn't get a chance to set up any more um, any more demos. I'm taking a look at Discord, seeing if we have any questions. I don't see any yet. We had some uh, interesting comments, though, talking about a foot-operated capacitive touchpad that you have to use barefoot. And Kelly Stratton says, fidget mode is brilliant, which I totally agree with. And a uh, bunch of taco discussion. And 2331 <laughs> puppy commiserated about um, your efforts to get the rotation of the NeoPixels right. So yeah, better you than us. That's, that's valid. <clears throat> um, luckily, I had help because I would have been lost in the water there. Um, so uh, let's see, I can rotate these. There we go. Um, yeah, I would, I would have been lost in the water, but I had help from uh, uh, my partner who goes by Crayola on Discord um, and GitHub, I think. Um, and uh, she actually wrote the LED animation library as well. Um, so mapping pixels was quite natural <laughs> to, to happen there. So that worked out. Um, it actually went really fast once we realized we needed to do it. Um, so yeah, so the macro pad's a lot of fun. Um, it can do all kinds of stuff, uh, both light up, you know, simple demo stuff and HID stuff. Um, JP's written a couple of MIDI examples the, to use it as MIDI, MIDI controller, to use it um, with um, different different MIDI applications. Um, and it's worked out really well. Uh, one's called Ableton Live, and it actually communicates uh, both, both directions back and forth. Um, so the LEDs are uh, responding to Ableton versus um, you writing code for the NeoPixels, that sort of thing. So there's, there's a lot you can do with it. Um, and uh, it also, like I said, plays tones. So um, we did a Braille keycaps um, example where uh, Noah and Pedro printed um, printed Braille keycaps for the um, for the MacroPad keys, and then each of them also played a tone. So um, you could also associate the tone. Uh, it's just like another level of accessibility, basically, um, and. I created a basic tone keypad 
um, as well that doesn't do HID. But again, that's uh, super simple. Um, super simple example. Um, but obviously, we that's what we include in the um, in the libraries are simpler examples. And folks have been submitting their own examples to the MacroPad library. And if you um, write something up that uses the MacroPad library and it's different from the examples we have, um, please feel free to submit a PR and we can help you with it um, in terms of how to work the PR. Um, I just had uh, to explain some of the um, process to someone who submitted one of the examples and they've worked through it and it's been good. So it's the, the more examples, the better. Um, editing the current examples, not as great only because they're in a guide and the guide is written to basically just explain the simple, the simplest version of each of those features. Um, but if you write something up and it's and it's something you think that others might uh, benefit from, feel free to PR it and we'll take a look at it and see if it uh, makes sense to add to the library. Um, Foamy Guy says, Paint Your Dragons game has inspired me to explore more possible games for the macro pad. The first one I think I'm going to make is a kind of game like Simon, where it lights up the keys and sequences, and you have to try and remember and press those keys. I'm excited to see what other folks can come up with with that hardware. Yeah, for sure. Um, and actually, Foamy Guy also submitted one of the examples, which was an LED animations example, uh, just to show how to use um, the LED animations. Um, someone asks on uh, one of the streams anyway, um, can fidget mode be used on other boards like the trellis? Absolutely. It's it's a very, very simple code. Um, you, all I do is I wrap the entire HID section under an if, and then you have some button or you, you, choose, you choose one of the buttons to enable fidget mode and disable fidget mode when you press it. Um, is how I did it. Although Jeff actually suggested an even better way to do it, which is have it automatically enable in um, 30 seconds because who remembers to turn on fidget mode? Nobody. Um, and then you have to manually turn it off with a button to then use the HID. But for sure, um, it could be used on anything. All you have to do is just write an if statement that says, if it's enabled, send the HID stuff. Um, Otherwise, don't. Uh, you don't even need an else on that one. Um, so the trell the the trellis would would absolutely work. You just would want to pick a button to use as the button to enable it and disable it, and then um, tell the rest of the code to only work when it's not enabled. Um, it'll be included in the guide for this um, because that's it's now officially part of every HID project I ever do. <laughs> um, so if you're if you're wondering how it's done, keep an eye out for the for the guide um, for GitHub phrases or I'm not really sure what I'm gonna title it yet, but something to do like that. And um, check out the fidget mode section. It's actually called fidget mode in the code as well. I, I did not obfuscate it in any way. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's uh, it's real obvious what's doing what. Um, Hopefully that helps. All right, um, so I think Katni Expander, nailed it. All right, that's what we'll call it. Um, so with that, uh, I'm gonna turn it over, I guess, to Jeff. 
Sure. Uh, I'll start by uh, saying there was another question from YouTube that uh, Dan answered in the chat, but to make sure that anybody who is not on Discord gets the question and answer, uh, is there anyone who can tell me on the Trinky QT2040 which pin do I use as a, as a switch in order to allow CircuitPython write access to the board's flash memory? And Dan answers that you can use board.button. And I think, Dan, you can expand on this if you need to, but you would, you would plug it in and then after plugging it in, you'd press the boot button so that it can be read by CircuitPython boot.py to switch the storage to read-write. Right. And but because if you held it as you plugged it in, then it would go into the UF2 bootloader. Right. So you, you might want to put a delay in so that you're willing to wait one second in boot.py to see whether the switch is pressed or not. Because otherwise, yeah, you'll get into, since that button is used for two purposes, it's mm -hmm. to get into the UF2 bootloader. You don't want to, you plug it in and press it, but you want to press it as soon as possible. And if you if you checked it immediately boot.py, you'd miss it. So you'd want to put in a delay to give you, you a chance to, to press the button. All right. So yeah, what I've been having the most fun with, I would say, um, is making 3D prints around uh, macro pads and keypads right now. So if you want to bring up my screen share, Katni, I'll kind of go through Sorry. a couple of them. So first up, and most recent for the macro pad, Katni and I were talking and she said, I wish I had a little bumper that would go around this so it could sit on my desk, but the screws wouldn't scratch anything up. So I designed this for flexi plastic and 3D printed it. And I have um, uploaded the design to Thingiverse just today. So there's the link for that. Next up, this was my most complicated um, project uh, with keyboards. It's not with the macro pad, it's with a custom PCB, has my name on it, and revision B, we'll talk about that in a second. But it was to create a calculator. Normally there would be a feather and a screen installed here, but the uh, the one that was actually photographed in the guide, I gave away to a friend. This is model B and I just don't quite have it put together. But I got to design the printed circuit board also a little little stand for it that holds it at a comfortable angle to use. And then I adapted someone else's keycaps um, so that I could print them in two colors and get all the nice legends. And um, then the last part I designed for it was a 3D printed um, key switch plate, which um, when you solder in, it's not super important for stability, but if you, um, you can get the keys misrotated when you solder them in. I think like seven here is a little bit turned. And so when you have a solder in keyboard matrix, the plate really helps to, to keep the keys from being rotated, the key switches uh, as you solder them in. So highly recommend. They tend to be really easy 3D prints. They're only like 0.8 of a millimeter thick and very flat. And um, I was just sharing with JP yesterday on his uh, show there is a website where you can go to to create the layout that you want, and then you can even wire your keyboard without a PCB. You just hand wire the whole thing. Um, and so these files are on the guide for the calculator, which is on the Adafruit Learn system, if you're interested in that. And they are some of them designed with FreeCAD and some of them with OpenSCAD, which are two free and open source uh, modeling, 3D modeling packages. 
And then the last print I wanted to show is uh, this for holding a feather and the ortho snap apart. And you kind of uh, bolt it all together, snake your wiring through so it is uh, trapped under this little bumper thing. And then all the keys are really stable and the board doesn't risk flexing and breaking your keys apart. Um, and then this um, key plate, whoops, is JP's design. So nice little add-on. I know he shared that on the live broadcast chat. I don't know that it's uploaded anywhere. Uh, yeah, so that's what I've been 3D printing. And da, 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 da. I also, yeah, I was going to talk about the process of making my printed circuit board a little bit. So the uh, basic key matrix is pretty simple. You you have a key switch, and then you have a diode, which uh, allows each key to be recognized individually. And then it's divided into rows and columns. And you have one connection from the microcontroller to each row and column. You can kind of see them here. And then uh, these, I think these that went on the back are the columns, and these on the front are the rows. And as I designed this, I made one mistake, which was I needed to use an I2C display, so I should have left the I2C pins free. But I was using KiCad, free and open source software with a feather footprint, and it didn't label SDA and SCL. If I'd seen it say SCL, I would have not used that pin, but instead it just said, I don't know, D3 or something. And so I used it, leading to the need to fix it manually and the revision B board which fixes it. No, no extra wires needed. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, these were made on DigiKey with the DK Red service. Um, and these were made with Oshpark. And they're really similar uh, physically. Some of the differences I noticed were the Oshpark boards, you have to sand away the little connections that connect the board to the panel, whereas the ones from DigiKey came already cleaned up. So that was nice. Um, and then these holes should not be, uh, don't have any electrical connections, but DigiKey put copper uh, up the holes, whereas Oshpark did not. That's a little hard to see, but uh, take my word for it. Th see, these don't look metallic mm -hmm. down inside, and these yeah. ones do. Uh, but that doesn't actually make any difference in how it works. With Oshpark, uh, I could just upload the file, the KiCad file, of the board. And with uh, DK, I had to go through the process of creating a Gerber. So it's just a few extra steps. But both of the uh, of the board houses worked pretty well. And the boards came when they said they were going to come. And yeah, it was a fun little project. Um, so I had wanted to show an N-key rollover demo, but I think I erased that from the board that it was on. So um, that is mostly what I had to talk about today. Can you explain N-key rollover? Can I explain N-key rollover? Sure. So um, on your on your keypad, especially if you're playing video games, you'll find that you want to press several keys at once on purpose. Mm -hmm. If you're using a computer as a typewriter, not so much. You know, you press A, and then you press S, and then you press D. But when you're going around in your video game, and you're changing weapons, and going forward, and ducking, and all those things, you want to press a bunch at once. 
So uh, the ability to handle those multiple presses is called rollover. And I assume there's a historical explanation for that that probably has to do with mechanical linkages in old typewriters. Um, but anyway, when you have, say, six key rollover, which is very common on USB devices, that means you can press any six keys, which are not modifier keys. But if you press the seventh, it might not register or it won't register properly. Um, and when you create, uh, when you have N key rollover, that means that any number of them, so like up to 30, all 30 on this keyboard, you could press it once and the operating system would be able to see that. Um, and so when Dan enhanced USB HID in version seven, he made it so that you can select your own USB HID descriptor and you can send the computer a different descriptor which allows any of the keys to be pressed fully independently of the others instead of being limited to a list of six keys that are pressed by number which is kind of the default way to do it and so the the way you do this is detailed on a page on the adafruit learn system within dan halbert's guide um, although i wrote that particular page and yeah so particularly if you if you want to do some video gaming um with your keyboard, you might be interested in in-key rollover. If you wanted to do things like um, treat it as a musical keyboard, but you'd use MIDI for that. Um, the other thing that people use it for is cording keyboards. Um, so there are quote unquote braille keyboards and there are, is it stenography keyboards where you, where you press a combination of keys and then the computer interprets that into like a word or a symbol together, but these work with like just say eight or 10 different keys, one per, per finger that you press in different combinations. And so that's what I know about in key rollover. All right. Great. Well, um, let's uh, see what Dan's been up to. I just put a link to your page. Um, Jeff. Thank you. The, the whole guide is good if you want to learn more about that stuff. Yeah, for sure. You could say N key rollover is like all key, all key rollover, all the possible keys. It makes it a little clearer, like what N means. Um, so I'm going to talk about um, how some of this keyboard stuff works at a lower level. Let me go back to my outline so I don't forget to say something. Um, so one thing that is new in CircuitPython 7, which is still in alpha and which should be in beta soon, and then uh, we hope relatively soon after that would be um, final, is that there's a new module called Keypad. And what Keypad does is that it has a variety of ways of scanning sets of keys or buttons, or even pins, because the microcontroller doesn't know the difference between just plain old pin transitions and that there are keys attached. And so keypad, there was a there was a previous module called gamepad, which um, Radomir uh, worked on for simple game computers, but it was kind of limited and only did eight, up to eight buttons at a time. And so keypad is more general than that. And what it does is it works in the background and scans a bunch of pins and uh, generates events that tell you, oh, this key went down, this key went up, this key was pressed, and they're in order. So you can see like, oh, press, press, release, release, 
or press release, press release, whatever, and it identifies which key got pressed. So keypad's uh, keypad module. Um, maybe somebody. Uh, let me let me paste um, a learn guide about this in the chat. Uh, it can scan different kinds of keys. Uh, if you look at, um, or I'll put it here, the macro pad, uh, there were enough uh, pins available on the RP2040 microcontroller so that each of these keys has its own pin. And so there's one key per pin. And that's really easy, okay. Um, but when you get to something like, say, the Snap Apart keyboard here, which has 30 pins, or your own typing keyboard, which has, you know, more than 100, or you know, between 60 and 100. Well, very few microcontrollers have that many pins, and it would be kind of a waste to spend so many pins and have the circuitry for all that. So another thing that's a thing that's commonly done is called key matrix, and um, Jeff has already talked about that, where you have lines. You have one. You have one. Um, you have one uh, pin. One pin is connected to each row, and one pin is connected to each column. So in this case, we've got six and five. So you only need eleven pins instead of thirty pins. And then you check to see whether there's a complete electrical circuit between a particular row pin and a particular column pin. And because they're shared, then you can get into this issue, which Jeff talked about, where if you press down too many keys, um, you're going to get false presses. For instance, here is a, um, a little telephone keyboard. And it turns out it doesn't have uh, these diodes in it to help you to prevent false presses. So if you press, say, the one, two, four, and five keys, or the two, four, and five keys, then it will falsely tell you also that the one key is also pressed. And that's because it doesn't have these diodes that prevent that. And that's explained in the guide if you want uh, to take a look at that. So the keypad module has first this one key per pin, and there's a, there's a class called keys. It has a class called key matrix for these real column kinds of things. And finally, it has um, something called shift register keys which is another way of scanning keys is to take an external shift register and connect it to a bunch of pins and then clock the values of those pins in uh, by clocking the shift register. So you're reading all the pins serially. So you only need a few pins um, on the um, microcontroller, but you could have as many pins as you could chain these shift registers together and you could read as many as you want. And um, I don't think there are any typing keyboards that run that way, but there might be. Uh, and you could have a shift register for the rows and a shift register for the columns, for instance, if you wanted, and you wouldn't use up very many. But most of, most of these days, most microcontrollers have enough pins, so you don't need to do that. So anyway, there's this other thing called shift register keys. And um, instead of demonstrating, we've already, demonst we've already seen a bunch of demos of the macro pad and so forth. And so the MacroPad library uses the keypad library underneath. And I think true also, it's also true, Jeff, that you're using the keypad library on the calculator thing that you built. And 
another thing which I'm not, I haven't shown at all, but music keyboards, you know, like piano style keyboards or something like that, they also usually use some kind of matrix, some kind of row and column thing, though, which are the rows and which are the columns is not obvious because a piano keyboard looks linear. But for instance, there might be a row for each octave and then the columns might be each of the 12 keys in the octave, for instance. So you will find this business of key matrix in a lot of different kinds of input devices. So, and what I was gonna show you today is, um, this is a, a Nintendo SNES controller. This is actually just a, a clone uh, of, of one, but it works internally. And it's, I think they're like 15 or 20 years old. It has a couple of shift registers inside and the uh, pins on this connect to the shift register and allow you to clock the shift register. So it doesn't need a connector. It has like 16 buttons or something, but it only has a connector that has eight pins. And in fact, several of them are not used, at least for the ordinary controller. So can we read using the key mate, using the, the shift register keys uh, class in keypad, we can read this SNES controller. So I made a demo and we'll see whether it works or not because I, I, had, I had some problems uh, powering it up and down. But what I've got here is um, a, an Adafruit Cricket board, which can run connect to servos. And I've got a Feather M4 on that. And it's running, uh, very, it's running CircuitPython 7 with this keypad um, module in it. And now let me go over and start up this program. Let's see, let's see, here we go. So now I've got, what I've got here is, this is one of these uh, servo mounts. It, it has, it, it's a platform that it can tilt this way based on a servo. It can also uh, rotate based on a servo. So it can go left, right, and up and down. And I've also put another uh, servo on top of this that just spins around. So, it should be that if I can press, I don't know if you can see this because the lighting isn't that good. Let me turn on, turn on some more light here. Obviously we're very well prepared. <laughs> anyway, you can see this thing going back and forth and I'm what I'm doing is I'm pressing the uh, up and down buttons on this game controller and it's moving up and down or I can turn it this way. I can make it rotate this way or that way. Let's make it go back up again. And then I've got for this servo that I taped on the top here, I can make it spin around. Um, let's get some better light there by pressing the A and the B buttons. So I'm just, in, if I were, if I had had the camera set up, I would have had some kind of tethered robot and have it drive around and use this thing, or maybe do the whole thing with Bluetooth. But anyway, read the button states by using the keypad class that does shift register keys and using this game controller. So you can use these this keypad thing for a lot of different applications. It's not just typing keys. It's not just your Cherry MX switches. It could be the buttons on a CPX on a Circuit Playground Express, or it could be anything that has buttons, or you could even use it to monitor some pins that you're like, that are connected to some things that go up and down. They don't have to be real keys. Nice. So. Please 
feel free to ask more questions about this. And uh, as I said, I pointed to the learn guides in the live broadcast chat in Discord, and you're welcome to take a look at that and try these things out. Okay. Dan, did, did you want to say anything about debounce? Oh, okay, sure. That's another interesting thing. So keys, uh, key switches, mechanical key switches bounce. When you press them down, they make contact and then the contact comes back up again and it goes down again. So it might do this a little bit until it settles down. And when you re release it, there might even be a little bounce when you're releasing, but it usually tends to be when you're going down, it does this, a little stutter. And you can see that if you look at it on an oscilloscope. And it usually takes between a couple of milliseconds to like 10 to 20 or even 50 milliseconds, depending on the kind of switch that it is to settle down. So this keypad module runs in the background and it waits a certain amount of time before it decides that a key is really pressed. So won't, you won't get false up and down events. Uh, the default is 20 milliseconds, which is fine. And it's really, that's pretty typical for say a typing keyboard or something like that. You can make it shorter or longer if you want, depending on the quality of your keys. But um, it's all done automatically. So you don't have to do the debouncing yourself. We used to have to add debouncing code and we have a debouncer class uh, for reading plain old pins that are that are connected to buttons. And it's a nuisance to do that in your program, but keypad will take care of that for you. So you don't have to worry about debouncing if you use the keypad module. Yeah, which is uh, <clears throat> one of the great things about using it in the Macropod library. Um, you can very easily track the press and release and do something different on each of those things without a bunch of different code. It's just dot pressed and dot released and then the code you want to run. Um, yeah. And talking about having to add code for debouncing, that's why there's a separate instance of the encoder switch in the Macropad library that is debounced because um, you can't, like you wanted to be able to just read the value if it's true, if it's not, so that you could press and hold it, but also have a debounced version of it. So there's, there's a bunch of extra code in the library, well, not a bunch, but there's a bit of extra code in the library um, that happens in the background that handles debouncing that switch. Um, that uh, if we'd been able to use keypad for it, wouldn't have been necessary. Well, we um, could use keypad for it. I, I was thinking that we could actually use keypad for it. Did we, fig did we figure that out? Because I thought that we couldn't figure out how to do like dot true or um, dot value being true or right, false. It's right, it's harder to know if you just want to know statically whether it's up or down, but we could make it an event instead, but that would change the semantics of the library. So we may not want to do that. Basically. Yeah, that was, I thought, yeah, we, we tried it. Yeah, yeah. We, we gave it a try because um, the first code that Phil wrote for the macro pad had it as an X, had it as a phantom key. Um, it was the 13th key. Um, uh -huh. And we had to, uh, we had to re redo that whole section <laughs> okay. to work with the macro pad library because it's not a 13th key, it's a separate button. That's what um, I was thinking of, was making it the 13th key. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I have something I showed off previously, um, but wanted to show off again, because it's a lot of fun, um, is a uh, work in progress for LED animations. And really this was, this was requested months ago by JP before we were even doing keyboard stuff because of the fact that it's a standard animation on most keyboards. Um, and then we got into keyboard stuff. And so I thought, well, we should finally do this. Um, so this is a very work in progress. 
Um, there's no customization for it. It's all, it's all mostly hard coded at the moment. Um, but basically it's a, it's a burst thing where you can set a different center for the burst based on the key you press. So right now it just changes when you press it. Um, it doesn't do a thing where it clears as it goes, that sort of stuff. There's a lot of customizations we want to add to it. Um, but this was a proof of concept and it was really hard to write it on the macro pad, which is what we started with because it's very small, relatively speaking. So to try and troubleshoot or um, write something that is showing this burst on a three by four keypad um, was a bit of a pain. And uh, I didn't have the NeoKey ortho snap apart yet. Um, so as soon as I got it, it was the first thing I did was dump this animation on it and see whether or not it worked. And I had to hard code some extra stuff um, it would actually get part way over here and then leave like one row or one um, column rather uh, turned off, um, which is like a, there's like a length equals something. So I just changed that. And like I said, it's all it's all very hard coded at the moment. Um, but the goal is to be able to change the speed to be able to have it work as like a single ripple um, where it turns off the center as it goes. Um, and another thing that I noticed and took a minute to figure out was this burst is very square and on my actual keyboard, it looks round and it didn't click initially that this is an ortholinear keyboard, the ortho snap apart is where the ortho comes from. Ortholinear means that it is straight up and down and most typing keyboards are, um, not linear, um, or not ortholinear, um, the uh, the keys are offset. I, there's no way I'm gonna be able to lift my keyboard up high enough to be able to see it on the screen. But um, yes, Jeff Jeff is holding one up that is that is not ortholinear, and so it looks rounded because the keys are on angles. Um, and I thought because I thought what are we doing wrong? This animation doesn't look right. Um, it's not as smooth and it's not as round, and that's because it's an ortholinear keyboard. So um, I have another one of these that I want to wire up um, so that I can actually have it on two. Um, in theory, I could wire up four of them and make a big one, but um, I don't think they're in stock at the moment, so I don't think I can order more of them yet. Um, but I want to do it on a bigger keyboard um, and see whether or not all of our hard-coded stuff still works and um, see what I can do with this. So this is... Uh, this is going to be the latest um, latest animation once I actually get it added in. Um, it's probably going to be a while, but uh, it's in progress. It's there. We're working on it. Um, so yeah, and this is the actual wiring. Just to give you an idea, it does take a number of pins um, because every row needs one and every column needs one. Um, uh, Todd figured out that the maximum that the RP2040 can handle is an 11 by 11, which is 22 pins. And um, that leaves one pin because there's 23 GPIO apparently available on the RP2040. And I don't think it's available on all RP2040 boards, but the actual chip itself can support that much. And so you could do an 11 by 11 grid and still have one left for the NeoPixels. Um, that is a... Uh, a tidbit I want to add to the uh, the Neo Key Ortho Snap Apart guide, um, just as an example 
of um, what uh, what you can do. Um, I think the itsy bitsy would handle it. I, I didn't count the feather uh, yet, so I don't know how many the feather can handle. But remember, the the pins that are labeled um, for I squared C and S SPI and so on are still digital pins. You can still use them for other things as long as you don't have plans to do any spy or I squared C. That is, um, and uh, yeah, so you can make big old eleven by eleven grid if you wanted to. This is five by six for comparison. 11 by 11 would not fit on the screen. I would have to lift the camera up pretty far. So all you need to do is manage to get five of those sheets and that would be just about the right number. Yeah. So yeah, I need to find three more. And the wiring I think would be a little bit, a little bit tricky. Um, not entirely. It's just, you have to actually wire the boards together on the right pins. Um, to connect the rows and connect the columns and connect the LEDs. That was another thing actually with this, the LEDs are um, a zigzag on this one. And if you snap it apart, they're a zigzag on whatever snapped apart version you have. Um, and so this is much easier to map <laughs> than the rotation was because you can just do a simple transform that the odd rows are flipped. And it, then it just knows. Um, and LED animation library already has that, I think. Yes, we we added this just because we kind of wrote a lot of those things for the wall that I have, where in my other um, office, that's an LED wall, and it's zigzagged. Which a lot of, you know, if you mounted LEDs, chances are it's strips that you've connected, and those are often going to be in a zigzag. So we basically it's just alternating equals true, on setup and then boom, it's done. So initially when I started this animation on this grid, it was doing weird things. Um, and then I remembered it's alternating versus the macro pad, which is not alternating. So um, so yeah, so that's that's something the LED animation library handles already um, is alternating uh, grids. So if you ever uh, are setting up one, just take a look at that. The LED animation library is also an excellent companion to pretty much anything that has LEDs. Um, cause it does a lot of setup for you and, um, handles different orientations and handles, um, grids that are actually strips, uh, things like that. Um, so you don't have to do the extra math cause all of the examples that have LED stuff for the Neo key ortho, um, have that extra little math in them, except this one, obviously, cause the LED animation library handles it, but, all the basic examples have a little bit of, have a little helper function with some math in them to reorient the, the grid back to a standard strip. So anyway, I was really excited about that animation because we, uh, we weren't really sure how we were going to do it. We have a, um, we have one running on the, on the wall that is, um, it, it picks a random point and then ripples a random amount out from it but that is not you pressing a key and choosing the point. That's just a grid on the wall that doesn't have inputs. Um, so transferring that concept to being able to select the start point for the ripple or the burst or whatever you want to call it um, was uh, a totally different situation. Um, so yeah. 
uh, I didn't get out anything else fun to show off. Um, well, I could show some actual Python code. Uh, and it looks like we have some questions. All right, let's do questions so let's and then do let's questions. do Python code. All right, my interest is with Raspberry Pi projects. Uh, how would an RP2040 project be a good way to get started with CircuitPython? And so, who, is, um, who is that from? That is a question from uh, YouTube. Okay. Um, so, so, go ahead. I was going to say, um, so the so the any any microcontroller, um, I shouldn't say any. So a lot of the microcontrollers we have available are are good places to start. The RP twenty forty is an excellent choice. Um, it it handles like I we 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 take our libraries and we make them smaller to put on smaller boards um for lack of a detailed explanation um and you you usually cannot so there's there's like a you know the the python version and then there's this like compressed version that we often suggest folks use and for example the macro pad that i have set up over here has the python version of every library on it right now which means that they're all big and it's fine i, I haven't run into any problems um, so the RP2040 is a great place to start because you won't run into uh, memory issues with um, any kind of project that you want to do. Um, and it works, and the key is that it works with CircuitPython. So essentially any one of our projects, um, other than the, the pins might be named different, um, any one of our projects is, will work. You can, you can get started with anything. So if you go to learn.adafruit.com, and you take a look at, you know, I don't know, maybe you're into LEDs. Um, you look up LED projects or something like that, and, and you see one you like, um, you can do it without RP2040. It's just, you may need to, if, if you're using a feather, an RP2040 feather, um, the pinouts will be almost identical to any feather example. Um, same with the itsy bitsy. There's, uh, be aware that the, there's only four analog pins available on the RP2040, and so, the RB2040 Feather, instead of having A0 through A5, has A0 through A3, and then two digital pins. That's the only difference. Um, but the they're all on. It's labeled on the board, so you you, you don't you don't have to worry about being confused. Um, but picking any pick a project that interests you, not so much based on it being an RP2040 project, but based on what are you adding to it? Um, find the adding to it bit that interests you. And then chances are you'll find something on learn.adafruit.com that walks you through how to do that. And um, we're always available on Discord. There's a help with CircuitPython channel. So if you can't quite translate in your brain how the, you know, the, the, the Feather M4 pinout on the example, which is often what we use, um, how that pinout matches the board you have. If that if that's like a little confusing for you, like we're always available to help. Um, so that's um, and and yeah, uh, Mister certainly had an excellent response, which is it'd be a great starting point, though it'll need some soldering skills for a solder-free experience. You can look at the Adafruit uh, Circuit Playground Bluefruit or the Adafruit Clue boards. Um, that's absolutely valid. If you are not comfortable with soldering. Um, either this will be a new learning experience for you, which we're also available to help with. There's tons of videos. 
Um, or you might want to look at a board that doesn't require um, soldering so that uh, you can just get started learning and not have to worry about learning Python, learning circuit Python, and not have to worry about learning soldering on the way. Totally wherever you're at is what determines what the best option there would be um, for you. I don't know if anybody else has anything to add to that. No, I think that's great. I think the emphasis that CircuitPython runs on a lot of boards and it work, runs the same, works the same on most of them. They have some minor differences, but you can usually do a project on anything. So often can. So don't worry about it if you're if you're trying to use one of their the basic boards. Yeah. Um, next was a question slash suggestion about the um, animation that I was running, which couldn't you also soften or smooth it by having the leading edge be uh, 0.25 brightness? For sure. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, things that we can do uh, to smooth out that animation. Like I said, it was very much the prototype. This was this was the first thing that we got working, <laughs> and um, we haven't 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 managed to get back to it since. We had a long weekend, which we haven't had since that point. Um, so we took our long weekend and spent it writing an animation. Um, and uh, so yeah, that was from uh, Kelly Stratton on YouTube. That suggestion. Um, and then um, I forgot. I was Hams Labs had asked, uh, "What can you get access to the SWD pins on MacroPad? Those pins are for doing uh, low-level debugging." And the answer is there are no pads on the MacroPad that connect to the SWD pins because the RP2040 comes with a burned-in bootloader. We don't have to use the SWV pins at the factory to burn the bootloader. And so there were no pads left on the macro pad for that. And if you really wanted to get access to them, you'd have to solder tiny little wires to the pins. And I ran into that myself. I was kind of interested in doing some debugging on the macro pad at a low level. And so I might ask that if the board is ever revised, that if there's a spot for them, a couple of pads for those are created. But sorry, they aren't available now without excellent soldering skills. Yeah, for sure. Um, see, we had a question on Facebook, apparently, um, about what's the best microcontroller to use for LED spinning LED projects where an accelerometer could be used? Um, they, wow, that's very specific. Um, 30 pixels, three strips of 10 and Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. I think that narrows it down quite quickly. Um, or Wi-Fi or Bluetooth rather. Never mind. That what doesn't quite narrow it down as bad as I thought. <laughs> I'm like Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, like that's quick. Um, there's a there's a guide uh, available on learn.adafruit.com that is basically I think can't remember the exact title, but it's which board, which circuit python board is is right for me. Um, take a look at that because it has separated out uh, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth boards, uh, if I remember correctly. And that will tell you um, what fe what other features those boards have. Uh, for what you're talking about doing, you definitely want to have a um, SAMD51 or better. So an NRF52840 would work. Um, the ESP32S2 
would work um or the samd 51 with a with with some kind of wi-fi um board attached to it um because of the uh project you're talking about doing you just you want a, a beefier thing so don't go with the small like the samd 21 don't use that um that's my suggestion there so I was going to maybe suggest the Feather Sense or the uh, Blue Fruit uh, Playground, because those are both going to have a Bluetooth microcontroller, um, and they're going to have an accelerometer. I think both of them. Yeah. And then you can hook up your NeoPixel strip. So that's a way to have just one board, um, and you don't need to like have a separate STEM IQT uh, sensor. Mm -hmm. That would also work. Those are both excellent suggestions. Just, just off the top of my head. But yeah, I also put the link to the Choose Your Circuit Python board um, in the Discord chat, but I don't know that that will make it over to Facebook. So Right. Um, I don't think it will either. Um, is it possible to have multiple Circuit Python boards interconnected and sharing code? Well, you'd have to put the code separately onto each board, but you can sure connect digital pins where one of them is going to treat it as an output and the other as an input, or you could use UART, or you could use I2C and I2C peripheral um, on the two boards to communicate. So there are definitely ways. I don't know that we have a lot of guides about that particular topic. I don't think we do. We've had a few questions on it, but I think not enough to warrant writing up a guide yet, um, but it is doable. Yeah, at some point, I think somebody will do a uh, like a split keyboard, and maybe that will figure in that project. Um, Mario, who asked the question about the uh, microcontroller that would work for their project, said thank you so much. They've been looking at the Feather Sense, so uh, excellent suggestion, Jeff. So, um, Keithy, you asked an earlier question here which is kind of a, how do you go from a new board or product to that first project you used to showcase it? Um, so where was that question? That's, that's in, uh, that's two, two or 3 PM, um, in live broadcast chat. But I was going to say that I think it's the other way around is that for project boards, the project is usually conceived of or multiple projects. Like mm -hmm. it's the mag tag. It was like, well, we'd like to have something that lasts for a long time and we can use an e-ink display for that and it could sit on your refrigerator and it could find out the weather and post it and so forth. And so we usually, uh, Lamore and Phil are the people who usually come up with these ideas and they would prototype it um, using existing parts and then sort of get some proof of concepts of those things and then design a board around that particular those particular class, that particular class of use cases. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And the prototypes are always pretty gnarly um, because they, you know, you want, th think about prototyping the Circuit Playground Bluefruit. Like there was already a Circuit Playground, but prototyping that you have like seven or eight different features, all of which you would have plugged in separately initially, just to proof of concept, the fact that you could have all these things in one. Um, so some of those prototypes are are, are pretty crazy looking. Um, but I think that is, yeah, it sort of is the other way around, like Dan said. Um, and they'll often come to us with ideas and say, hey, you know, we were thinking about this, like what else would make sense in it? And we'll of course toss something else into the mix 
Um, yeah, so uh, Keith says that Oni, that makes the build process makes more sense. Um, and when I'm trying to think of what to do with a board, assuming that there are some learn guides already out there, I'll look at the learn guides and say, what can I do to tweak this so it'll really become my project and not the project on, uh, you know, just the project from learn. So picking something where, where I see a possibility to improve it or that I want to just try out. And then I know, yeah, maybe I'll pick that up and give it a try. That was actually, I ran into that with the MacroPad project. Um, Lady Ada suggested that I do a hotkey project and I couldn't think of one that I would use. Um, and so that's when I ended up deciding to do the one with the Tux Expander concept um, was after some serious thinking, a couple weeks worth of uh, <laughs> saying, I'm, I'm never gonna remember to press it to you know do command C. Um, so what would I do? Um, I don't use any applications that have a lot of things that I do, like Philby had one for like Illustrator and, and Photoshop and so on. And I, I don't use a lot of shortcuts in those apps. So like, it doesn't occur to me to have like a whole keypad set for them and so on and so forth. So to try and come up with something that was enough different that it warranted its own guide um, is something that I also went through with, with my MacroPad project. Um, my very first project started with ordering a Circuit Playground Express, not knowing what it was, thinking it could connect it to a Raspberry Pi, uh, like as a sensor, um, and quickly realizing that's not what it was, but not really understanding what to do with it. Um, let it sit around for two weeks before finally picking it up and then stumbling into CircuitPython. And um, then it me figuring out what to do with that board at that point for that project was more iterating on learning how to do different stuff with it. And then I was like, oh, I've now learned these five things. How can I put these five things together to make something? And I made a tone piano um, that used fruit for capacitive touch. Um, you know, and it was just those were the, you know, that lights up as well. And those were the things that I had learned how to do. Um, so that was how I went through it first. Um, someone asked, is, is it possible to add an airlift coprocessor to the macro pad? Um, I don't have an answer to that. The answer is not using SPI because there aren't enough pins okay. available. Unless you wanted to sacrifice some of the buttons. Ah. Um, is it, it has a STEMA connector and you can talk I2C or UART over that. So you could talk. We have a library that does UART to an ESP32 coprocessor, but it hasn't been that reliable. So, okay. Yeah. Sorry, there isn't an easy way yeah. to do that. Yeah. But you could take like the, the break apart, snap apart keyboard and uh, add and connect that up to anything. Yeah, yeah, this one happens to have a Feather S2 on it because it was waiting at the top of the list. Yeah, so sure. yeah, it, it's a Wi-Fi keyboard if I needed that. Yeah. Which it turns out I didn't, but you might have another application in mind that does. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, Dexter Starboard asks uh, about having a feather wing with a partic some particular things on it. And there's a product suggestions page on or in the contact form, I think, on the uh, website. So feel free to submit 
product suggestions. They do mm -hmm. get looked at. Absolutely. Or, you know, the designs of Adafruit's OLED Featherwing and I2S amplifiers are going to be out there. So you can bash them together in Eagle or KiCad, both of which are free to use. You'll just maybe have a little bit of an interesting time getting the components right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, so King of North on Discord says, for the macropad, I created a couple pages for the game called Elite Dangerous. A few of the shortcuts required using a sequence of key presses, including slight pauses between the keys. I used the guides from Catney and Phil B to create the coding needed. Thanks for the guides. And that's exactly what we're going for. <laughs> we, we want you to be able to take this and just do what you want to do with it and not struggle with that. Um, so I'm really, that's, that's really good to hear. Um, so Jeff, you were going to show off some Python code. Yeah. Do you mind bringing up my yeah, screen absolutely. share there? So, um, this code actually is to run on the, the ortho keypad here, and mm -hmm. it creates basically the left half of a standard keyboard. And this is the whole CircuitPython program. It's 29 lines long. And first of all, I'm just tickled by how simple it becomes when you have the key matrix module, when you have Adafruit, HID, all of these things. So I'll just kind of walk through it a few lines at a time. Okay. Um, with Python, of course, you always import the things that you use that come from other files or built-in modules or so forth. And then uh, I just delineate which are the row and column pins, which was kind of kind of painstaking to figure out how did I wire it and then how is that called in the particular build for the uh, Feather S2. But you know, once you get that worked out, it's done. And then there's what is the mapping of the keyboard itself. So this is specifying that the first key here is escape. And then one, two, three, four, five, you come down to the second row, Q, W, E, R, T, Y, and so forth for all the five rows. And then you create the key matrix itself and the USB keyboard device and then you head into your forever loop. You get the next event. That event has a key number from which you can look up the code for that key. And then depending whether it's pressed or not, you send a USB event to press or release the keyboard. You load these 29 lines on your CircuitPython board and it is a keyboard that your computer recognizes and it works just like a keyboard. You know, the, the shift keys and control keys, and it, it, it's amazing. It all just works. And it's code that you can explain and start to understand in just a couple of minutes. So thanks to everyone who made that possible. It's amazing. Yeah. No, it is. It's, uh, and I wanted to point out, um, Todd said that is his first sighting of Walrus Operator in CircuitPython mm. code. Yeah, so this little guy here, oops. people call it the walrus. I guess those are two tusks. Mm -hmm. um, so it is a way to update a variable, uh, but also do a check on it like a while loop or an if loop. And it is a recent addition to the Python language. And we've also gained the ability to use it in CircuitPython 7, uh, although because of some deliberate technical choices we made, we 
can't include it in examples in the Adafruit Learn system, which is interesting. I um, did not know that. Yeah. Um, because we check them with a very old version of PyLint, that version doesn't know about Walrus Operator. Hmm. And so until we upgrade, we can't start using it in Learn. Wow, I guess we need yeah. to upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> um, that actually just got me today because I had written it in uh, some code for my next upcoming guide, which is not keyboard related. Um, and yeah, it kicked it right out. It said, I can't even make sense of this code. I'm not going to bother telling you what's wrong. <laughs> but those someday, are, those are the best someday we'll be able to use it in Learn. Those are my favorite warnings. Um, and thank you, Dave, for recognizing my nicely formatted code table. Um, it, it, uh, it would be illegible if you squished it together, like, um, or put it all on separate lines, like Black would like to do. So I was going to say, do I not, wrote this one to look just like I wanted it. Do not run Black on your code if you have formatted or disable. You can disable Black. Um, yeah, how do you do that? It's no, it's not like that. It's it's something like no QA. I don't remember, but it, it's not no QA, but it's something uh -huh. similar, like don't no format or something. Right. Um, it's in the guide, actually. All if you right. want to know how I'll to do it. In the guide. Um, and you can disable it for sections. Um, so do be aware if you are uh, using black to format your code um, and you want to have special formatted uh, tables, you mm -hmm. you want to make sure that it um, isn't run. Um, right. So I guess as long as we're looking at code, um, let me uh, let me pull up some of the MacroPad library code and show you how simple that looks. Um, feel free to chat amongst yourselves while I find it. All right, Naradoc says I think I would prefer having an iterator to do for key in keys.events which I don't think works now. Um, yeah, I bet there there would be a simple function that you could kind of introduce in between to make it iterable like that. Um, but I considered that, but it 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 it, it 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 eliminates some other possible use cases. So I didn't do that. Particular, it's it's an iterator that runs forever because, and also it returns none when there isn't an event, so you don't want it to block necessarily. So um, there are a variety of reasons not to make it an iterator. I yeah, I, I think you could do it. I, I could show some untesty untested code if I bring my screen share back up. Oh. Um... Let Depends how close you are to yeah, ready, Katni. Yeah, you could certainly make it an iterator. I just we didn't want to make that to be the fundamental. Right. So we could say events of keys, and it'll say it'll be just be this. There you go. So obviously it's untested, but what this will do is, as long as there are events, it will go through this loop and then say you add something else here, like update the LEDs. Then it would it would go through each event and then it would go through the LED updating process and then it would repeat. Um, 
All right, so let's take a look at some Macropad uh, examples. Um, this is the simplest version of it. Um, I can't give you, uh, what is it, 11 lines? Um, small math is difficult. Um, so you, this one uses time, um, but basically you, to use the Macropad library, you import uh, from Adafruit Macropad, import Macropad. You create an instance of the Macropad library. And from there, you can use any of the features of the library. Um, this simple thing prints out uh, the keys, the key number pressed, whether or the relative position of the rotary encoder, and whether the encoder switch is pressed. And it prints that to the serial console. So this is very simple, like just is your macro pad working and do you have the library set up properly? So we check for the key event, which this is a common thing to pretty much all um, keypad code. You need to get the events. Um, and then it says if there is an event and it has been pressed, then print the number. And then uh, beyond that, uh, print the encoder position and whether the encoder switch is pressed. And there's a delay just to keep it readable. Um, so that's, that's a very simple thing. Um, to show that information on the display, you have the same import structure. Um, and then you create uh, a display text instance where you give it a title, um, or you can leave the title off and just have the first line of text be at the top. Um, and you create uh, a variable for that. Then once again, you're checking for keys. Except this time, uh, we are updating a line of text to display the key pressed. And this shows up on the display um, as a line of text um, that updates when the um, status uh, updates. Um, someone's asking, where is the link of this project? Um, if somebody could link the Macropad library examples, that would be excellent. Um, this is actually in the Macropad library. Um, I can show, if I can find the right window here. Um, so, so this code, um, I think I have to stop sharing and then reshare the other window looks like can't find the other window that's special um, okay I can't show you because I can't find the camera for some reason um, so it there's images in the guide. Um, basically, it displays the text. Um, it displays the text uh, and um, nicely in um, nicely in in lines. Um, it's easy to update. Uh, this was an example of using the rotation option. Um, so, if you want to show it rotated. You just set it up with rotation here, and uh, it accepts 90 degrees, 180 degrees, and 270 degrees. Also accepts zero, defaults to zero though, so there's really no point. Um, and uh, then 
um, notice that I have the same title, but I added a new line because it's it's too long to fit on the display when the display is 90 degrees. So um, things like that to display an image. Uh, this is all there is to that. So uh, CircuitPython compatible bitmap, we do have a guide on creating those. There's a couple tweaky things. Um, not all bitmaps will work and you want it to be the right size. Um, this would display the Blinka.bmp image. Um, and uh, this is just so that it, it displays it and then and then does its thing. Um, some of these get a little more uh, complicated. Um, this is the tone keypad um, where uh, I created a list of tones that um, there's 12 of them, obviously one for each key and um, it lights up each key a different color of the rainbow. And then this is how you start the tone when the key is pressed and then you stop the tone when the key is released. Um, for <clears throat> uh, your own knowledge, if you use start tone, always use stop tone because uh, it doesn't actually stop playing the tone without stop tone. Um, play tone, you can specify a duration, um, but start tone needs stop tone, they're friends. Um, this is an example for using keyboard and mouse. Um, I did some, some stuff here where the, just the first, cause there's, there's four different things basically you can do with, um, the HID keyboard stuff. And that is send, um, a single key, send multiple keys, send a string or, um, a consumer control code. Uh, I'll explain what this all means in a second here. Um, the single key, easy enough, um, you just send it. The couple of keys together, you, you, you press them and then release them um, because it needs to use one as a modifier key. Um, using keyboard layout.write allows you to send full strings, which is what the um, GitHub text expander project will use. And then things like volume, mute, uh, play pause, are what are called consumer control codes. Even on regular keyboards, um, Dan explained this to me, they are not normal key presses. It's, it's a different concept. And so our HID library includes various consumer control codes as well, um, but you have to use consumercontrol.send instead of keyboard because they're a whole separate thing. And then um, I have it set so that when the, the encoder switch is pressed, it sends a right mouse button click. And then when the uh, when it is rotated, um, it moves the mouse a little bit to the left and it's rotated the other way, it moves it to the right. And this is um, by itself, not that useful of an example. Um, but what it does is it demonstrates all of the HID and mouse stuff that you can do um, with the macro pad. So you can use it um, to send HID stuff, you can use it uh, to send mouse clicks and so on. Um, and um, that was what that was what this was, example was basically written up for. And then here is a simple example using the LED animation library. Um, and uh, you import the LED and what you need from the LED animation library, and then um, set up the library, set up the animation, and animate. And that's all there is using the animation library with it. Um, but that's that's pretty much all there is to using the MacroPad library. It's it's very simple, um, and the actual setup that happens here 
is many lines of code. So this takes all of that out of your responsibility um, and makes it so that you can just get started using your macro pad to do fun things. So there's my quick overview of the, of the macro pad library. All right, I think we haven't had, other than the question I just answered, I don't think we've had any more questions. Uh, there was a question about whether you can use uh, Keypad with Blinka, and the answer is that Melissa made a compatible library that will operate on Blinka as well, so you could use those Raspberry yes. Pi GPIOs in a very similar way. I, it, I assume that covers the matrix. Does it cover the shift register as well? Do you know, Dan? Yeah, I think it covers all oh, three. So it covers all three. Nice. Yeah. It's really pretty much a transcription of the C code into Python. So that's exactly which, what Blinka is. <laughs> I, I suppose you could also use that to bring Keypad back to CircuitPython 6 if you really needed to for some reason. You could. Well, it, no, it works in the background. So Oh, it works in the background. That's yeah, true. Yeah. Um, there's also, I don't know if people have noticed, um, some of these examples use um, Rainbow IO, which is uh, something we added to CircuitPython 7 that has the color wheel function in it. So you don't have to add the wheel code to your example anymore if you're using CircuitPython 7. Um, you can just import color wheel and then um, where you would normally have to have fancy color wheel code, you can just use color wheel. Um, that also has Blinka support. Uh, which is the first and only uh, contribution I've ever made to Blinka um, was uh, doing that, which is also what gave me my um, super uh, increased understanding of what Blinka was. I actually had, didn't really understand, uh, apparently, because um, when I went to contribute to it, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Um, and Melissa explained everything. It is basically um, all, of the, all of the stuff that is supported. It is the CircuitPython stuff, but it's in Python. Um, so a couple things we have other questions. Um, is there an automated way for including libraries? Um, I think that's what Circup does. Um, so for the, you used to have to hunt them out. Um, we have a tool called Circup that I think can, I think maybe it only updates. I don't think it finds initially, but if you go to any one of the projects on the learn system and you go to the code and there's a download project bundle button, it will download all the libraries you need for that project. So what I've even done is find one that is basically what you're trying to do <laughs> and download that bundle, put all the libraries on your board and then do the thing you were gonna do. And then you've already got all the libraries. Um, but otherwise you can download the bundle from circuitpython.org slash libraries and then just copy the libraries out that you need. Um, can be a little tedious, but once you're done, um, you just need to make sure that you update them if they get updated. Uh, otherwise, you're you're set to go. You don't have to copy them over every time. And if you set up this program, Circ up on your desktop computer, you can use it to install the libraries or to update them. So, like, say you put your code on your CircuitPy drive and it says "import error Adafruit HID not found." You just type Circ up install Adafruit underscore HID, and it will add that. Ah, okay. What's what's missing is it wouldn't wouldn't it be nice if it would automatically look in code.py and figure those things out. So 
please, please add that as a pull request to Circa <laughs> because it is like so many other things, it's community supported. It is very much community supported and thank you to everybody who, who contributes to that. Um, so Dan, you said works in the background and someone uh, wanted to know if you could explain that a little more. So um, keypad library, um, the part of the, the part of the keypad library that does, or the library, the module that does that, that checks the keys to see whether they're up or down. It's, it's um, running in the background as a background task of CircuitPython. And uh, it checks, uh, so it, the default is every 20 milliseconds, but you can change that. And it will pull the keys and record their states and then add whether they change from up to down and add those things to the events queue, the event queue that uh, the keypad object you're using does. And this all happens behind your back um, and you don't have to initiate it. You don't have to ask it to scan or anything like that. It's oh, it's, it's happening continuously. Um, that's not the kind of thing that you can do in Python easily. We don't have threads turned on right now. And we also, we want it to be as fast as possible. So it doesn't, uh, it doesn't interfere with other things that are going on. Other things go on in the background too that you don't see for instance, when you read or write to the CircuitPy drive, that's going on in the background, and you don't see that. I mean, from from the host computer, or when you play audio, and then it will continue to play the audio, and your program will continue. You don't have to wait for the audio to finish playing. You can go ahead and do something else. That's another kind of thing that's done in the background. So that's what I mean by background tasks. Excellent. Um. And then the final question was any, or from the same person is, um, any cool use cases you could quickly share? Anyone known to have used this for access control? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Doesn't mean you can't. Um, trying to get the thing. I got my, my camera to pop back up. Um, it's not focusing very well, but this is what the example looks like <clears throat> the display the simple display text example shows true when this is pressed it shows the relative position of the rotation and then when the key is pressed it shows you which key is pressed and that is just the simple te simple test um, display example um, so uh, and um, the keypad library or the key, the keypad module is written in C, correct? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there are only very, very small amounts of CircuitPython that are written in uh, assembly. It's really quite, quite astonishing how little that you have to do. Um, and it's never anything I have to do from day to day while working on CircuitPython, even in the core. Um. So Aza's built to code says, I'm working on access control to my Jeffrey's tube. Any solenoid lock recommendations? I think Lady Ada showed off a solenoid um, just the other night on didn't, Ask an Engineer. I was going to say, didn't we just get one in? Yeah. To the shop? Um, I, I think it's probably more for fun than for actually securing 
access to something against, you know, a, a real threat, but. Um, right. I want to say, I thought, I, I just, I thought we, we actually just got one in, so. But yeah, I think that this, uh, this kind of solenoid block would be an interesting choice for, you know, if you have a, if you have a keypad and when you, when you put in the right combination it'll unlock, I think it's certainly up to that. I'll find find the store link for that and drop it in the chat. Okay. Um, we had a question from someone called Randall who says, uh, "When sh should I start using Circuit Python? Uh, whenever you're ready." Um, it, you know, do you, do you have a, is it, are you interested in learning Python? Are you interested in learning electronics? Uh, do you have a project that you think would use CircuitPython? These are all um, points at which uh, you could start using it. Um, I started it when I started learning to program and started learning electronics. Um, other folks already are very familiar with these things, but um, maybe not familiar with Python and want to learn Python uh, in a, in a way other than just uh, programming. Um, oh, <laughs> when do you start using CircuitPython 7? Yeah, I can't read. Um, so anytime, it's it's pretty solid right now. There's a few bugs that we're still working out. Obviously it's still in alpha. We have one uh, API change we wanna make um, to HID, but other than that, we're looking for a beta soon. And um, then and we we expect that the beta to release candidate to stable um, will go pretty quickly because it's already very stable. Um, there are, for example, it's the only thing available for the macro pad and the issue like issues that folks are having are not related to Circuit Python seven. Um, so really, any time is is good. And unless you are using um, something in in production, maybe don't go to an alpha, but. Um, for your own projects, like give it a try. And if you find bugs, please let us know. That's that's the whole point of, of our public um, uh, development phase um, is there, you know, uh, public development is that we want folks to be able to use these things early and often. Um, I use it on everything, um, but uh, obviously there's some stuff we have to go back and check on six, but like I every, everything that I've got running here right now is running CircuitPython 7 and um, I am not running into issues. So I would say yeah. as soon as possible, um, just if you run into bugs, file an issue and let us know and uh, uh, let us know how to reproduce it and so on and so forth. Yeah, I guess I would add a little bit to that and say um, you need to be willing to encounter a few bugs and be willing to file the bugs. Um, so if you are on a shorter timeline for some reason, you may want to choose the um, stable version, or if you just don't feel like uh, feel like running into those problems, um, there's there's no shame in using the stable version. But also, it is very easy to go back and forth to put six three back on your board. You just pop back into the UF two bootloader and drag the six three version over, and you are back to the more stable version of CircuitPython. So. Be, be willing to spend a little extra time helping us make 7 the best version of CircuitPython if you try it out. Um, but also know that you can use 6.3 uh, as soon as you, you see trouble. 
if you do. For sure. Um, obviously, unless you update uh, your code to use features that are only available in seven, in which case sure it won't enough. be quite as easy to go back to six. But if you are just have a basic project and all you do is change out CircuitPython, you can always go back and forth. That's that's a very quick quick process, yes. Um, Keith, Keith says, how often do you go through the old projects you've made that are running around the house and update the versions of the code? Um, so for myself, um, when I add a new feature or I learn about a new feature that would improve the project, I will definitely go do that. Um, so I have a timekeeping device um, that I updated to version seven so I could use the new Adafruit ticks uh, functionality, which is a millisecond tick timer that never runs into rounding problems or needs supportive long integers. So that was really good for my use case and I updated my device. Um, my CircuitPython keyboard, I just want that thing to be stable forever. So I wouldn't necessarily go and um, mess it up by doing that. And that, this is this keyboard is running CircuitPython with KMK and I've just used it every day for two years and it's great and I wouldn't change it because it's working. Um, for me, most of the projects I've got sitting around the house are not doing things. So I pretty rarely update them. Um, I would say most 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 projects I update come out of someone have, running into an issue and then me saying, oh, I've, I've got that set up. Let me go update it and see if I run into the same problem, um, at which point I can update the code and so on and so forth and get that uh, loaded. Um, or um, we have folks who are building our, our projects and they're updating them. Um, so when we run into that situation where um, someone will be on Discord in, in the show and tell channel saying, hey, look, I did this, I, I built this thing that you guys did like last year and um, now it's updated code. Uh, I will sometimes snag that and, uh, and update. Um, Anne asks, have I run my NeoPixel wall code with the new versions? Uh, no, I don't think I've updated CircuitPython on that board. Um, it's, it's a little bit of a pain because I need about nine feet of USB cable. Um, so the updates uh, are slow moving to the wall. The wall gets updated last. Um, we update, uh, you know, we, we, we test everything on matrices or, or whatever. And so that it's easier to deal with instead of having a giant cable dangling across the room. Um, um, David G asked about a project that would let you choose between projects to run at boot time. Mm -hmm. And we just added something called set next code file, which lets you basically you could have a code.py that presents a menu of things. And then you could say which one you want to run. And then it would choose among several alternative files and then restart itself after saying, well, next time you start, don't run code.py, run this other file, run uh, game.py or run calendar.py or whatever you like. Uh, so that's good for doing that kind of menu system stuff. Um, a link in the in, in Discord about that. Excellent. Someone asked, uh, are the circuits like CircuitPython, Arduino, et cetera, pretty, pretty similar? If you're referring to the wiring, it's identical. Um, 
CircuitPython uh, obviously looks and works differently than Arduino, but um, we often use, um, and, and in examples, we'll, we'll put, we'll show a wiring diagram with an Arduino and we'll show a wiring diagram with like a Feather M4. But um, for example, the, the uh, guide that I just did for the NeoKey Ortho Snap Apart is exactly the same wiring diagram for all of it. Um, so um, the, the wiring is the same, if that is, if that is the question. Um, it's just obviously how you tell the code to look for the hardware is a little different in CircuitPython, obviously, than it is in Arduino. Um, and you would need to know pin names for Arduino and pin names for CircuitPython, which don't always match. Um, and someone pointed out I could hook up a Raspberry Pi to it and do it remotely. I have considered that. And then I just keep forgetting to do it. <laughs> so I agree completely. A Raspberry Pi would make uh, the wall being updated remotely um, much faster. And since all the CircuitPython libraries run on Raspberry Pi, it would be very simple to transfer that code thanks to Blinka. Um, but I haven't gotten around to it. So David was speculating about whether there's a way to power the MacroPad externally. And there's definitely not a built-in facility for that. But it looks like you could pass in regulated 3.3 volts via the Stemma connector as a hack. But that's based on 10 seconds of looking at the schematic. And you may damage your hardware if you try it. So let us know how it turns out. But it would definitely <laughs> need to be regulated 3.3 volts. You couldn't just connect the battery directly in. I mean, we, we don't, we tend to add battery jacks to things that are not high current. So uh, you could certainly just use a USB power pack. That's mm -hmm. true. A nice flat one mm -hmm. or something. Yeah. Um, that that um, would be the general recommendation. Yeah. Would be USB power of some sort. Or take a sacrificial USB cable and hook up your battery voltage to it because the macro pad would regulate that down to 3.3 volts using the regulator that it already has. Mm -hmm. So then you, you know, instead of the A connector on the other end of your USB cord, it would be a battery. You've still got to figure out how to charge it, but uh, so there, there are two terrible hacks. Um, Engraver asks, some systems can be updated via Wi-Fi. Do any of your libraries support that? And it depends on what you mean by updated. But we are uh, Scott Shawcroft, who's also uh, works on CircuitPython. In fact, he's kind of the head of the team, um, is working on a Bluetooth low energy workflow so that you would be able to program a device uh, via a BLE app that runs on your phone or a tablet or something, and have with no wires be able to edit code on your board and talk to the REPL and stuff like that. So that's a whole nother new way of, of um, controlling things. So you don't have to have a host computer that connects via USB. That you could you could you could just use Bluetooth. And that project is in progress and it's beginning to work and we're working on the app side now also it's just beginning to come to fruition 
As far as updating the CircuitPython firmware, um, I haven't used it myself, but I'm aware that a community member added a module called Dual Bank. And on the ESP32-S2, this would be related to how you would over-the-air update the CircuitPython core program itself. Um, so you would have to add the part that downloads the new firmware file and feeds it to the dual bank flash function. But uh, I think it works. I think the contributor would have tested it and seen that it worked. So um, I'll just drop a link about that in the Discord chat. That doesn't really deal with updating the CircuitPython files themselves. Uh, but of course, in boot.py, you can switch it to be writable from CircuitPython. And then within your code.py, you could do whatever you wanted. You could connect to a website and download fresh PY files. Um, but we don't really have an all-in-one solution that says, here's a workflow you should consider following, and here's the code that supports it. It's more we've got bits and pieces right now. So, uh, And again, help fleshing that out and finding a good way to do it. Um, we would love that. All right. It's certainly getting close to our hard stop, so probably we is. should make our apologies and uh, make room for Lamore at the, the show at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm sure there will be more questions, but uh, folks will be around in Discord to answer them. Um, as we always are. <clears throat> um, so this has been a chat with about CircuitPython with Jeff, Dan, and Katni. Um, thank you all of you for joining us and thanks everyone for participating. Uh, these have been some great questions. For sure. Uh, we definitely um, had a lot more content this year than we did last year. There's three of us, so that makes sense. But um, that was also thanks to everyone who has been participating. Uh, so thank you everyone. Um, remember that you can uh, join us on Discord anytime. Uh, we are available uh, 20, well, we're not personally available 24-7, <laughs> but the Discord is at adafru.it slash Discord. You can join us. Um, right now, we're all in the live broadcast chat, which is where we are when there are live streams, but you can check out the Help with CircuitPython channel if you have any questions about CircuitPython um, or any of the other channels. Uh, take a look, see what works best for you. Um, we folks are uh, most of the folks that are available on that discord are community members that are volunteering their time. So ask your questions, um, but be patient um, with both us and our community. Um, uh, somebody will be able to help you. Um, it's just folks are around at different times. Uh, no, and someone asked whether discord wakes me up at night. It does not. Um, but we have folks that are around at night. We've got folks that are around all the time because um, they're from all over the world. So nighttime is not always the same for everybody. Um, if you want to learn more about CircuitPython, check out circuitpython.org. Uh, if you are interested in supporting CircuitPython, um, CircuitPython is primarily sponsored by Adafruit. Uh, so check out adafruit.com and purchase some hardware. Um, we also have our uh, CircuitPython weekly meeting every Monday at 2 p.m. It's a little bit of an awkward time for a lot of folks in the Eastern time zone, but um, it started out as an internal thing and became a community thing. So it stayed at the same time. But if you ever want to join us there, we talk about uh, what we've been up to, what we're, what we're doing, um, what's going on with CircuitPython, um, and so on. And we welcome anybody to that meeting. 
Next up is going to be a board tour with Lady Ada and Phil. Um, they will, I believe, be taking a look at uh, different boards is what the plan is there. Um, different circuit Python boards. Um, and we will be around again, like I said, for the rest of the day to ask questions, uh, answer questions um, as they come up. So thank you everyone again for participating. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Dan. Um, thank you to Mr. Certainly for gathering the questions from those other stream yeah. sites. And if we missed your question, sorry. Um, it's not that we didn't like it, but um, just went by too fast. But come join us on Discord and ask around. Yep. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. And we hope to chat with you again soon. Maybe in a year or so. Maybe sooner. Yeah. Later. <laughs>